Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a solid midweek show for you. We've got Sean Smith, founder of BigBlueCountry.com, uh, to talk a little Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Will Levis carrying this offense that has struggled to run the football, getting Chris Rodriguez back. Is Kentucky a football school? The age-old debate. Um, And a couple other things. I thought it was a pretty insightful conversation, uh, the joke aside, of the matchup. And then we've got episode six of the Nick Broker Show, brought to you by LB's Greg himself. How about that? What a guy. So before we get to that, though, I want to remind you this podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling canyon capping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix and Rule, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Need to go check these guys out. If you're hurting from a bad weekend in college football, you probably don't want to go in on your own brain again. You should probably just buy some of the Skybox picks and profit because they are the only way to profit in the long run, and they will make sure you are not meeting your bookie as consistently as you are now. Instead, you'll be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range on the website, whether you want to try it for a week, a day, a month, go all sports, go NFL only, college only, whatever it is you're into. They got NASCAR on there as well. Anything you want, they're going to have it for you. It's sent in a really organized spreadsheet. It's going to make you feel like a professional and not as dumb for losing all the money, or maybe more dumb for losing all the money you did beforehand before using Skybox. But you're going to feel like a pro, and you're going to win like a sharp. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS, independent insurance agent. He's based in Oxford, but he'll cover you anywhere in Mississippi. The insurance process is complicated. Everything's expensive right now. Gas, groceries, you name it. Why lose more money trying to get something insured just because you don't know how the process works? MIMS takes care of that for you. All you have to do is give him a call at 601-218-7854. And what he's going to do is try to understand what you need insured. Then he's going to shop your quote around to 10 different agencies. And his sole job is to provide you with the best and most affordable quote possible. Boom. That's it. No hassle. He's an Ole Miss guy. He loves helping out fellow Ole Miss folks. He'll help out anybody in the Magnolia State, whether it's car, boat, whatever the case may be, he can get you covered. Check him out. Matt Mims, independent insurance agent based in Oxford, 601-218-7854. Tell him I sent you, he'll get you hooked up. All right, we're going to start out with Sean Smith of GoBigBlueCountry.com and then get to the Nick Broker Show. So here is Sean Smith. All right, we now welcome on Sean Smith, uh, founder of GoBigBlueCountry.com. We talked to you in the preseason. You always have a special place in this podcast heart because as we tried to do the team-by-team season preview, uh, our DMs fell on deaf ears except for about three people. So we had you on in August. We're back. It feels like, I don't know, what that podcast like three weeks ago, and now all of a sudden we're in the fourth game of the season. How are you, my man? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Just gearing up for the weekend, trying to get everything uh, squared away at work. It's going to be a fun football game this weekend. I think this I think, uh, you know, both teams ended up exactly where they thought they would be heading into this game. Um, in Ole Miss's case, I'm not necessarily sure that we thought we would learn so little about this team in four weeks. Maybe that was naive. Maybe that was a product of not fully realizing just how bad Georgia Tech was. Whereas, correct me if I'm wrong, 
I feel like this has played out exactly the way you thought it would with Kentucky, where you did have one true test where you learned something about the team. They get a great win down at Florida. And then the rest of it was just kind of get through this and get to the Ole Miss game. Yeah. And, and you know, that's something I talked to you probably about a month ago in that preseason episode. Uh, I said that honestly, both these teams, I expected to be four and zero or undefeated going into this matchup. The, the one thing was, would Kentucky be four and zero? Would they, escaped the swamp with that huge win against Florida, and, and they did. Uh, I do think that there are a couple of, of situations that have played out that, that we're looking at differently now. Obviously, uh, Chris Rodriguez is making his return uh, down there in Oxford this weekend, first game that he's going to be on the field for. So Kentucky's running game hasn't been there. That's something that I expected to be something they could lean on. I also thought that they could lean on their offensive line, and they've had some struggles there with some pass protection and keeping Will Levis clean. So – uh, Kentucky does have some issues there heading to Oxford. They are 4-0. I do think it's big that Kentucky has already been in that true road environment and not game in the swamp. I think that helps them in going to, to an environment like Ole Miss. But uh, this, to me, is going to be where Kentucky's national ranking is put to the test. They've been in the top ten for the last two to three weeks. The schedule has set up nicely for them to enjoy that success. Now it's going to be put to the test, and we'll, we'll find out how good Kentucky is. You just hit on a couple of things I wanted to get to, particularly off the bat, is I don't know if you could call like the way Kentucky's gotten to this point surprising per se, but there have been some surprising elements, and the first thing was the running game. Um, this offense has really been kind of predicated, it seems like, on the shoulders of Will Levis and the passing game, Kentucky averaging a, under 100 yards rushing the football, and you think just under, and you think, oh, that's not completely terrible. And it's not awful, but it's also against three non-conference opponents that you expected to beat pretty handily. And then, of course, that tough game um, at Florida as well. What do you think's kind of gone into that? How much of is it just clear not having Rodriguez? I imagine that can't be all of it just because – you know, I think we found out in this kind of modern age of football, like if you have a good running game, that's every bit as much on the offensive line, you know, no matter who's carrying the football. Now, the Chris Rodriguez versus someone else carrying it, does that change? Um, of course it does. But, I mean, Smoke's a pretty good running back. What do you think has led to the kind of slow start rushing the football for Kentucky this, uh, this season? I think a lot of it is the – and it's not youth on the offensive line. It's, it's lack of experience. And I think that that – group has struggled more than what we thought they would I think that we kind of got uh, accustomed to seeing Kentucky just shuffling pieces in there and and a lot of it was experienced pieces and if there was an inexperienced piece they were able to kind of pick it up and, and get it going uh, rather quickly but that unit has struggled and I think that just the shuffling there uh, you've had Kenneth Horsey start inside then he's gone outside and uh, just a lot of shuffling across those spots on the offensive line. I think that has played into it some. Uh, but Rodriguez, and they've had some injuries. Like, we we thought that that – I thought that that running back room with Tom McLean, Ramon Jefferson. Now, McLean's had injuries all season. Ramon Jefferson is out for the year after playing two snaps. So, you started getting into that depth that we talked about in the preseason. You get to a, a redshirt freshman, Lavelle Wright. You've got Cavassia Smoke. But they're not Chris Rodriguez. The, the biggest thing about Rodriguez is he always gets positive yards. He turns plays that look like it's going to be a no gain into two or three yards, and that helps you offensively. That helps you set up some play action. Cavassia Smoke is not a guy that falls forward when he gets hit. Rodriguez is that guy. I, I think that 
when you get Rodriguez back, you're going to get some of those those extra yardage plays. You're going to get those extra two to three yards per carry. And then Smoke is the perfect change-up and mix-up with his speed and his ability to get outside. So I think that Kentucky's getting a guy that's going to be strong between the tackles, and I think that's going to help this offensive line because when they get into predictable pass situations right now, they have had trouble keeping Will Levis clean. And I think they need that balance. They need to, to get some uh, – not be as predictable and get uh, better in play action and get better opportunities. And I think that that's where Chris Rodriguez helps. Why was there a layer of mystery around the Rodriguez thing? It ended up sounding like it, it was an NCAA thing, but you know, even when there's, I mean, Ole Miss has had its own uh, mysterious suspensions through the years, but it kind of becomes, if not publicly said pretty clear what the issue was kind of take me through that whole saga. If you want to call it that and what, what led to him being, uh, eligible for this game and why that felt a little bit more mysterious than maybe it should have. Yeah, that, that was something that Mark Stoops never was going to address. And uh, there, there was some rumblings out there for, for weeks that, you know, what came out and stuff with, uh, you know, with them being with him supposedly punching time cards and stuff there at UK healthcare and, and things like that. And the situation going all the way back to spring of 2021 uh, there was some rumblings there, but it hadn't gone public yet. And obviously those documents were, were obtained and then it became a public thing. And, and it felt like something that maybe if Mark Stoops or someone from the program had got ahead of and said something, it wouldn't have looked as bad. But I guess that they felt like they weren't in a place to to really talk about the situation. Or maybe they had been – I know Mark Stoops said he had been advised to not discuss it and that he wouldn't talk about it any further. Uh, even UK put out – a statement there a couple of weeks ago that they have no comment on the matter and stuff and then the investigation and whatever is going on with it and everything. But we do know that Rodriguez is cleared to play. Uh, Jordan Wright was also involved in that same similar situation, but it was only a one game suspension. So I don't know exactly what led to the one game suspension and then a four game suspension. I know Rodriguez had the DUI, how much of that was, uh, you know, led to that suspension. And then on top of this, so, uh, it, it was a, a very messy situation there for a while, one that I think fans and everyone in the SEC were confused about because Mark Stoops refused to call it a suspension. So it was more of a he's not suspended. We're just waiting on the NCAA to clear this. So uh, a, really a, an odd situation uh, leading into the season. And a guy in Rodriguez that now I think he has to average somewhere close to 126 yards per game to break Kentucky's all-time rushing record. That That number was actually going to be – around 89 to 90 yards a game had he been able to play a full season. So it's uh, he's got some work to do, unfortunately. But uh, Kentucky gets a very, very talented piece back this week. Do you think – was that surprising to anyone at all? Just because, look, I mean, look, every college, every university has ways to work around, whether it's, you know, guys getting jobs they're not supposed to or blah, blah, blah. You get the point. But that felt like a pre-NIL thing. Like, I feel like maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but I haven't heard of that – um, that type of thing in kind of the uh, current world of NIL. It just felt that feels like a very like 2012 type deal. Um, whereas, you know, now you can kind of just find ways to actually pay these kids legally. Like, was that surprising to anyone around the program at all? I, I, th I think so to an extent, but then I think uh, you also kind of know that, you know, some things do go on. I mean, there are some things that happen and, and I guess that this actually was going on before, NIL was approved so I think that this was something that had been uh taking place and, and had happened I think it dated all the way back to you know spring of 2021 and and I think uh maybe even back a little bit beyond that was uh with some things so 
Uh, I, I think now you're at a point where if anything like that happens, I think we all should be surprised because why is it happening? Because you do have NIL. You have other ways for, for these players to actually make name off their name and their image and their likeness. So there shouldn't be anything going on behind the scenes. There shouldn't be anything being used as a way for players to, to make income. Uh, I think moving forward, if you hear anything like this, and I think it's the point you're like, okay, well, why is this even taking place? What's the approval rating uh, rating on offensive coordinator Vic Scangarella to this point? Because I know when we talked in the preseason, um, it was all about kind of opening up this offense more, right? He comes from the uh, Sean McVay tree, which still is heavy balance on the running game, right? But it's a little more exotic than kind of your three yards in a cloud of dust deal. What's kind of been the approval rating through four games? Has that been as advertised? Uh, I think he's been excellent. I think Kentucky fans are, are thrilled right now. And, and the thing that s- sticks out the most about Scangarello is they they had that 31 to nothing shutout versus Youngstown State a couple of weeks ago. And he was very critical of himself in post-game interviews. Like he was talking about, you know, it wasn't good enough. Uh, we got to be better than this. We got to do better than that. And then the offense did struggle at times that day. I mean, it has – it has struggled in large part due to the offensive line's you know, inability to, to protect Will Levis. Will Levis is still having a remarkable year. I think Will is significantly improved from last year. You can see uh, the development at that position. But I think fans are, are most happy about the playmakers that Kentucky has on the outside. You're talking Barry and Brown, who's been a two-time SEC Player of the Week, one special teams, one freshman of the week. You've had Dane Key. Uh, you, you've got freshmen that are – putting up record-breaking numbers for freshmen at Kentucky, and, and both of them are going to be in contention to to break the uh, freshman record there for most touch, most touchdown catches in a freshman year. I think that's been a big adjustment and something that Kentucky fans are like, and obviously that, that comes with having better talent at that position. This is the most talent they've had at wide receiver in the Mark Stoops era. You're seeing the tight ends get involved. Uh, you're seeing a, a mixture there with uh, with Keaton Upshaw and Justice Stingle and Brandon Bates. You're you're seeing some some balance across the board with some with more than last year. It was Wandell Robinson catching passes. This year it's been Tavion Robinson, Dane Key, Barry Brown. You've been hitting the tight ends. I think that that has been the biggest thing that fans are so excited about with uh, Rich Scangarello and uh, what where this Kentucky offense is going. And I think that this is an offense as they fix their offensive line issues. And I think that that is something that will improve as the season goes along. Do they get to where they want to be? I don't know. But I think by the time you get to to week seven, week eight, week nine, I think that this will be one of the the better offenses in the country, in the SEC, especially if they can find that balance now with Rodriguez returning. Yeah, because, I mean, he adds a, another – I mean, he adds kind of a huge layer to that balance, right? You mentioned the not falling forward – and a couple of those things. I know Ole Miss fans kind of saw the version of that last year with Jaron Ely. Ole Miss had a couple of good backs behind him too, but he was, you know, as athletic as he was, he wasn't a guy that always fell forward. And Ole Miss certainly has that in spades this year. And a lot of that kind of leads to the similarities between these two teams. And one of them being at quarterback where neither guy's numbers are going to blow you away through four games, but that doesn't really tell the story. I think Jackson Dart has been pretty good for Ole Miss through four games. It sounds like kind of the same thing with Will Levis, you mentioned the improvement. What do you like? What do you see as opposed to last year, kind of specific area wise, where he has improved? To me, I think he's settling in the pocket a lot better. I think the confidence in his arm is there. He's always had the big arm, but now it feels like that he's confident in his decision making. I, I thought last year at times he'd get happy feet. He'd over he'd overthrow some balls. 
he would throw some balls way too hard. Uh, but now what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a quarterback that's standing in the pocket. He's making NFL throws. I think that you've gone through four games now, and I can look at every single game and say that he's probably made three or four balls or three or four throws that you see quarterbacks on Sundays make. And now you're starting to see him, uh, you know, Todd McShay talking about he's a clear-cut top three option at quarterback in the, in the 2023 draft, and and I agree with that. But you're, you're seeing him be able to spread the ball around. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that's going to go into this week is I think you're going to see Kentucky get more involved in that quarterback run game. I think you're going to see Levis uh, some takeoff and maybe have some design runs, especially – uh, on third down and maybe in the red zone some. I think Kentucky's going to try to, uh, with, with Rodriguez coming back and things like that, I think you're going to see Kentucky get a little bit more dialed in with some quarterback runs and stuff, and maybe that's something that they haven't shown as much to this point. Uh, but I, I think Will is putting up great numbers. I just see a more confident quarterback this year than what I saw a year ago. But, I mean, he carries himself well. Like he he looks like a guy that could lead an NFL franchise. He he's very positive and upbeat. He always handles himself well in interviews. And I just see a guy that is very confident in himself and in his team right now. The last two results, Kentucky kind of slept walked through the early portions of both games, right? And you know, I we've talked about this a lot on this show because that happened to Ole Miss in the second half of its game against Troy. And then of course last week against Tulsa, where is one of those deals where you never really felt like the game was in doubt, but you're also watching it and you're thinking, oh, well, this doesn't look great. I've had this theory for a while now. It seems like it's harder to get guys up for games like Northern Illinois, games like Youngstown State. And as we kind of transition into whatever this modern or next era of college football is, games like that seem like they're kind of close to going by the wayside. I don't know if they'll ever kind of eliminate the bye games. I don't know where all of this is headed directly. But do you kind of subscribe to that theory where it's like 10 years ago – it kind of was what it was. You knew you had three or four of those on the schedule, whereas you still do now. It just seems a lot harder to get guys locked in for four quarters in a game where you know the result is never really in doubt. Uh, I do. I mean, obviously, even covering these programs as media, we have those games where you circle and you're like, you know, I, well, I don't really know what the storylines are going to be in this one. Like, this one isn't as exciting. The The engagement's not there. Like, but this one, like in a big SEC game, it just has that different feeling to it. Like Kentucky-Florida had a different level of excitement to it. Kentucky-Ole Miss has a different level of excitement to it. I think that, obviously, if, if I feel that way at 33 years old, I'm sure these guys at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they probably feel the exact same way. So I think you see more attention to detail and and dialed in more, especially – and, and from Kentucky's vantage point, I think going on the road, you know that you have to be at your best from the the opening kickoff. And I think you're going to see some some energy on both sides here. I think you're going to see Ole Miss up for this game. I think you're going to see Kentucky up for this game. Uh, Ole Miss is the favorite. So Mark Stoops and Kentucky can kind of play that chip on their shoulder this week a little bit uh, more, something that they haven't been able to do this year. Uh, but this is an Ole Miss team sitting there number 14 in the AP poll that if they get a win against the top 10 Kentucky team, they probably jump into that top ten. Whichever team wins this game, it sets themselves up very nicely. At Kentucky especially. If, if Kentucky gets this win, it returns home for back-to-back games versus South Carolina and Mississippi State before they go on the road to, to Knoxville here in October. They get a bye week on October 22nd, then they go on the road to Tennessee. Like, If Kentucky can find a way to get this win in Oxford, which is going to be difficult, I think this is one of the most difficult games on the schedule, 
you could be talking about an undefeated Kentucky team going to Knoxville with Tennessee maybe be, having one loss, maybe undefeated if they can get a win against Alabama. Like uh, Kentucky really puts himself in a great position here if they can pick up a win, but Ole Miss does as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we talked about this in the preseason, but it seems even more ed- evident now. If Kentucky is able to walk out of Oxford with the win, I mean, I don't want to say 10 and 2, like put it in pencil, but like it seems probable even if you drop the Tennessee and the Georgia game. And look, there's very possibility they could split that. I'd probably lean more towards the fact them getting a win in Knoxville just with the way Georgia's looked so far this season. But I mean, yeah, that's absolutely kind of, I mean, you feel well, like that's pretty probable at this point if they are able to win on Saturday. Well, I'll even take it on looking on the other side. I think whichever team wins this game on Saturday is undefeated on October 29th. If, if Ole Miss wins, I think Ole Miss beats Fandy. I think they beat Auburn. I think they beat LSU. And then they're going into A&M on October 29th unbeaten. Like, I think that this – whoever wins this game, I think, will still be undefeated on October the 29th. Which is – it's crazy to think about where a game like this on the 1st of October really sets you up and how much it changes the outlook for the rest of the year, particularly in Ole Miss's case, they have a much tougher road ahead because they've got eight SEC games tearing them down the pipe, right? They're going to play at A&M. They've got Alabama. There are some tough games on there, but you know, with the way A&M's looked and they got to go to Arkansas too, but that, I mean, I don't know if you, I mean, watching that game last weekend between those two teams, I didn't leave thinking, wow, these are two great football teams and kind of the, uh, I don't want to go so far to say the parody in the SEC because I'm just not ready to write off Alabama yet after a sluggish performance at Texas. But everyone behind them, particularly in the West, it's kind of like, well, no one else really scares you by any means. And it's still going to be tough games, particularly playing them on the road. But they do not seem as daunting as they did a couple weeks ago. I don't know if that's the same with Kentucky's case, though, because in my opinion, Tennessee's looked as good or better than advertised than just Georgia's Georgia. Yeah, this game, to me, it gets grouped into, I think Georgia is obviously the toughest game on Kentucky's schedule. And then you got Tennessee Ole Miss. And and I don't really know which one to put, you know, number two and which one to put number three. Uh, I think, obviously, you you got to talk about Mark Stoops' struggles on the road against SEC West opponents. And I, not even just Mark Stoops' struggles, but, I mean, go over the course of history here, it's Kentucky's struggles. I mean, Kentucky usually – Obviously, they play Mississippi State on the road every other year, but this is a program that has not won an SEC road game since they won at Auburn, I believe, back in 2009. So we're talking 13 years since they since the last SEC West road win for Kentucky football. So that's another milestone and, and kind of streak that Mark Stoops would like to bust this weekend. But uh, this is easily one of the top three toughest games on Kentucky's schedule. Uh, I think Florida, was we thought, was probably going to be in that top four. I, I, I do think that 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 one's still up there, obviously going to that road environment. So they got one of them, but this is the next step on the schedule. And it's a, it's a big one. Can Kentucky get to five and zero, or can Ole Miss get to five and zero? It's, it's one of those games that you circle in the preseason and you, you expect it to be big and uh, it's played out the way we all thought it would getting to this point. One of the things I think probably from the Kentucky vantage point, where if you look at a certain matchup and you're like, oh, this could not be good. Is the fact that Kentucky seemed a little bit more susceptible to the run than you might have thought this year. Do you agree with that assessment, and what do you think has caused that, if so? Yeah, uh, and obviously they're, they're going to be significantly tested this weekend. I mean, that is a lethal rushing attack that Ole Miss has there. I mean, you're talking uh, number four nationally in yards per game, uh, number eight nationally in, in rushing attempts per game. And, I mean, you're, what, top, I think, five categories where they're top 10, 15 rushing touchdowns, number three in the country, 65.1% run rate, number seven 
uh, just going through some stats here. But uh, I think Kentucky is going to be tested there for sure. And and I think that you know that the defense the defense to me is a strong area for this team. I think Brad White has done an excellent job. I like I think this is it for Brad White in Lexington. I I I would be shocked if Brad White is still the defensive coordinator next year. Not because he's losing his job, but because he's going to be a head coach somewhere. I think that that's going to be one of the next top names that you see for some of these jobs that open up. So, uh, and you saw what this program did and what Mark Stoops and Brad White dialed up for Anthony Richardson and Florida in week two. I would expect Kentucky's defensive game plan to be geared towards stopping that Ole Miss run. And I, I honestly, I, I'm confident that they'll, they'll have something together to, to do that. I think that that's going to be something that they're going to, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder and they're going to improve themselves again. And uh, I expect a really solid game plan, but Ole Miss is talented. Ole Miss is running room, running back room, very talented. Uh, that that I think that that's where that that this this outcome lies. If Kentucky can stop the Ole Miss run, I think Kentucky wins. If they can't, I think Ole Miss wins. Do you think if it comes down to it, and you know that's kind of the similar thing with Ole Miss, where they gave up some yardage last week. Tulsa had a really big bruising running back, and they kind of ran right at him on a, a few times. And Ole Miss was a little bit susceptible to it. That was probably the concern coming into the year: is like, can this defense stop a team that runs straight at them? If the latter is the case and Ole Miss is pretty good against the run, do you think Will Levis can win this game throwing the football? Uh, th- this is one of those games where you you look at it. Uh, I said the Florida game to me was a game where he's going to earn respect when it comes to NFL draft boards and a national level. And, and I thought that was a game where he had to make some plays, especially without Chris Rodriguez on the road. Uh, getting Rodriguez back this week, I think just the threat of Rodriguez, the eyes that he requires in the backfield. I mean, you're talking about uh, linebackers and things having to pay attention to him. It's going to help Kentucky, especially in the play-action game. But from what I've seen of Will to this point and what I've seen from Kentucky's wide receivers, their tight ends, I do think that if you get down to a situation, I, I think Kentucky, where they have to throw the ball, I do think that Will Levis is good enough to win a game with his arm. So if Kentucky gets in a situation late in the game and they got to they got to drive down the field, they got marched down the field. I think Will Levis has uh, the ability to make those throws. I think Tavion Robinson and Barry and Brown and Dan Key have the uh, playmaking ability to make a big play when needed. So uh, I think Kentucky's in a good spot here. Uh, I still think it's very difficult to pick this game though. Uh, if it was going, if it were a not game, I was probably going to lean more t- towards Ole Miss. But I think Kentucky actually gets a break with it being a noon kickoff because uh or a, sorry a 11 a.m kickoff there that's that's another thing starting a little bit it's usually it's always noon here in the eastern time zone but i think they catch a little bit of a break there i don't think you get the full day build up the energy around the stadium and all that for a big time top top 15 showdown the sec uh not being it not i think kentucky catches a break there for sure Tavion Robinson, it's like, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say he's undervalued at this point. I think everyone's kind of seen what he's been able to do and change the calculus for this offense. That's the first good receiver Ole Miss will have faced this year. But, you know, you talk about Will Levis a lot, you're getting Chris Rodriguez back a lot, this Kentucky running game. But how much of a difference maker has Robinson been in terms of what they're just able to do offensively from opening up the menu? Because, again, that's a guy that you have to watch. I mean, you have to monitor him on every play. You got to know exactly where he is on the field. Ole Miss hasn't really faced that guy yet. How 
how much of a difference has he made just in terms of what uh, Kentucky is able to do offensively? A, a big time difference. Uh, I think that you're seeing a another guy that I think will play on Sundays that maybe you didn't think so until he got to Kentucky. And I think that that's where Kentucky's improved the most the last two years. You saw Wondell Robinson showcase his game for a year. Now in the NFL, Tavion Robinson, this this is what's crazy, Brian. He had never had a 100-yard receiving game until he got to Kentucky, and now he's already had nice. two in the first four. So I think that is valid validation in itself of what Rich Scangarello and this Kentucky offense has has become the last couple of years. Obviously, under Leon Cohen a year ago, Wondell Robinson all that had all that success, and now you're seeing multiple pass catchers have that success along with the quarterback. So that's where Kentucky's offense has changed. So I was shocked to know that he had not had one 100-yard receiving game in his time at Virginia Tech because that is a major weapon. You're seeing him be – he's very shifty, very explosive when he gets the ball. And uh, and, the, and the other thing, too, that I want to make a note on Levis that I think has improved. Last year it was Wondell Robinson, Wondell Robinson, Wondell Robinson, in, in large part due to he was easily the best option that they had and significantly better than number two. Kentucky has more balanced talent across the board at wide receiver now and at tight end that you're seeing Will spread this thing around. You're seeing Robinson get involved, already has a couple of touchdowns. Dan Key has a couple of touchdowns. Barry Brown has a couple of touchdowns. You're seeing more balance across the board at that wide receiver position, and I think that that is making it more difficult for teams to prepare for Kentucky offensively. You mentioned as we wrap up here, just a couple of miscellaneous items bouncing around. You mentioned the 11 a.m. kickoff. We were talking about that right before we started recording. Like, I guess we just have to get our brains adjusted to the fact that TV's like, oh, this 11 a.m. game, cash cow ratings wise, we're not going to put, like, I don't want to say gone are the days of the Jefferson Pilot game because you have other 11 a.m. games that aren't great. You know, the SEC Network one, whatever, um, some weeks. But like, I, it feels like we haven't gotten adjusted to it. You mentioned Kentucky fans coming down there, maybe not getting the full Grove experience. Well, I do agree with that to some degree. I am a very much believer. I enjoyed the. Oh, after like when I was growing up, I enjoyed the after tailgate of the 11 a.m. game, even if I might not have, uh, you know, even if the kickoff wasn't as electric, it, it'll still be good. It's just a different type of feel. And, you know, if Kentucky's able to win, that might not be a great growth environment to see <laughs> from a tailgating uh, standpoint. <laughs> but I do think they will get something uh, out of the fact of them walking through the grove after the game, because I don't know, it'll be cooler weather. It'll be a nice day. And, there's something about where you're, there's no buildup. You're just kind of drinking and hanging out and watching the rest day of football. It's a uh, it's a different type of Grove environment, still a good one nonetheless. How do you think Kentucky will travel for this game? What's been kind of the vibe on that? I've been hearing that a lot of fans are making the trip. Like I, I think that this is going to be one of the more impressive showings that Kentucky's had on the road under Mark Stoops. I expect the catwalk, wherever it is down there, whatever time it will be, it'll be it'll be very early that morning. Uh, probably sometime around after around 8 a.m. Uh, local time down there when Kentucky arrives at the stadium. So I'm expecting a huge Kentucky turnout. I think that it's crazy to think that Mark Stoops is the the longest tenured coach in the SEC East, and he's never been to Ole Miss. Like that that just shows the That's problem a crime that we have in the with scheduling. It, it is, it, and it shows the problem that we have with scheduling in the league right now, and that's something that I'm wanting to see change, and I, and I can't wait for for this adjustment and stuff here to be made in the in the near future to, to maybe to get teams going to Ole Miss. Kentucky's only been to A&M once, and going to some of these other places in the West and seeing these other atmospheres, these other stadiums, 
I haven't been to LSU yet since I've been on the beat. So there are some places that I'd like to go. And, and Ole Miss is one of those. I was at that game uh, when Randall Cobb and them were there. I think that was 2009 or maybe 2010. I, I was I was down there at Ole Miss. I, I love that experience of the Grove. I think it's a, it's a beautiful stadium, and I know they've made some changes since then. So uh, I think it's one that, that Kentucky fans are certainly looking forward to. Uh, one more note going back to some things that Kentucky's having to look for with Ole Miss. I, I don't want to leave out Jackson Dart, and, and I, I think that he's a guy that has a very high ceiling as a quarterback that's developing, I think he's got a, a great arm. I think he he obviously is going to put some pressure on Kentucky with his ability to run as well. So that's another thing that you have to factor in with Ole Miss's running back and the rushing attacks. Uh, this is a quarterback that can make some plays, keep, some, keep the chains moving with his legs. I think Kentucky's going to be tested significantly. Which leads me to my final question and the best one. Is Kentucky a football school? <laughs> You know, we talked about this. That we were right around that time. Uh, it happened same the day after. Remember, we had to reschedule, it, and I was like, "Actually, it, this is a this is great because Cal opened his mouth." It did. So, I'm. I think Kentucky is getting to that point where they're they're turning into a football school. Obviously, it's always going to be a basketball school. Basketball is always going to move the needle. But I'll say this: this football program has gone from like they're they're in the they're in the top ten right now, and you have fans talking about one or two or three areas where Kentucky has to be better. When they were in the top 10 in 2007, back when they beat LSU, when they were number one and then got Florida for college game day the next week, Kentucky fans were just tickled to death and, and thrilled that they were getting to experience that. Now they expect to be a top 10 program. And now you got Kentucky fans saying after the Northern Illinois game, nope, this isn't a top 10 team. This, this looks like maybe somewhere around 17, 18, 19, 20, like, they're critiquing the game differently now, which tells you that the program has significantly changed. The expectations have changed. They don't just want to be there. They want to be there and look the part. And it was never a lack of, like, support, right? I mean, I went to Kentucky in 2017, whatever the DK Metcalf catch game was. That was an incredible environment. Kroger Field is an awesome stadium. It was never one of those things like, a look, this is an extreme example, but like Kansas, where they simply just don't give a shit. It was just more of a resources <laughs> put into basketball thing, right? Well, it, it it's all, yeah. And, and and two, these fans have always showed up for football. I right. remember I remember as a kid being a season ticket holder and Kentucky winning five or six games a year and you'd go to then Commonwealth Stadium and there'd be 71,000 people. It didn't matter who they were playing. If they were playing Norfolk State or Idaho State or LSU or Ole Miss, it didn't matter. There were 71,000 people in that in that stadium, you know, going wild, going crazy, back in their team, and it was like that all the way throughout the year. And, and what I always said is you, you have a fan base that, I think they've always been just as passionate about football as they are basketball. But you don't get to see that on a national level unless they're good because they don't it, – it's not – it's something like – I mean, we know this. Like, the teams that are good get talked about more. And for the last five or six years, Mark Stoops' program has been a solid program in the SEC, one that continues to climb the ladder. And the, and the biggest thing, it's not dropped – like, you, you get the programs that every other year they're good and then they have a year or two off and then they're good again. Like, this has been a consistent program that I think has helped gain national respect, not only in the SEC, but on a national level as well because of their consistency being good, being that consistent now, getting to nine to ten wins a couple of times over the last four years, going to really good bowl games and, and playing on New Year's Day and, and things like that. I think that that has significantly helped this program kind of brand itself even more nationally. 
I won't ask you for prediction because honestly, I don't even know mine yet. I'd probably just slightly lean Kentucky at this point, just because I feel like we know a little bit more, like we know more about them, um, more established, kind of an older team with more guys back. Whereas, like, I don't know, I don't know anything about Ole Miss. I think they're good. I think could they suck? Like, yes, that's definitely a real possibility. I just don't know a whole lot. I'll ask it in this way: If Stoops is able to win this game, where would this rank among Stoops' wins through his tenure? Oh wow, that's a really good question, and uh, one that if I, I mean, let me think here. Let's see. Obviously, the wins versus Florida you have to put up there, uh, especially that win in the swamp, and then you got to throw the bowl wins in there. But I think, given the moment where Kentucky is, number seven in the AP poll. I believe they're number eight in the coaches poll, so they're they're both there in, in the top ten. Given the moment where you are 4-0, you already have a win against Florida. You haven't beaten an SEC West opponent on the road. I think that you could argue that this might be his best win when it comes to where the program is because, uh, obviously, the, those games versus Georgia that would have decided for the division, those, are, those have been big games that they haven't been able to come through in. So anytime Mark Stoops beats Georgia, if it ever happens – I think it goes to the best win of his tenure. Now, this might now if, if they beat Ole Miss, this won't be the best team that they've beaten. But I think, given the moment and the situation and the environment and what it could mean moving forward, I think if he gets a win in the Grove Saturday, I think that this goes to the top win of the Mark Stoops era, just because of the moment and everything surrounding it and where Kentucky's at. Like, if they get this win, you're talking about a Kentucky team that could jump all the way into the top five coming home playing South Carolina, a team that I think they're better than, and then getting Mississippi State at home the next week. Like, where does Kentucky fall after two more home games and a bye week on the road playing a Tennessee team that very well could be a top five, top six team then as well? So I, I think given all the things that surround this game, I think it would probably have to go number one just given the buildup for it and what it means moving forward if he gets it. He is Sean Smith, founder of GoBigBlueCountry.com. Terrific stuff, as always, my friend. Safe travels down to Oxford and enjoy the game. Man, I appreciate you. Anytime you need me on, I'm, I'm always available. All right, that was Sean Smith. I really appreciate his time, as always. Always a good guest. He's been on this podcast three or four times now. It brings great energy. We did that interview at like 7 o'clock in the morning, um, so he was uh, alive and well for that. I thought he did great – excuse me, I can't talk today – had great insight as well always so before we get to the nick broker show i wanted to remind you this podcast is our presented by our friends at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a fully proven online therapy service that'll get you coordinated and in touch with a licensed counselor within 48 hours we put gas in our cars we change the tires we rotate the wheels we do routine maintenance on it because it wouldn't work very well otherwise your brain's no different how your brain functions affects the way you live therapy is an easy safe, relaxing way to improve brain performance, ease the anxiety. Sometimes it helps just to talk to someone. BetterHelp is here to get you in touch with a licensed therapist. And you don't even have to go on camera if you don't want to. You can just talk to someone else on the other side of a screen. They can't see you. Super laid back. Shouldn't be timid to try it if you're feeling anxious or feeling like you need it at all. Check them out. BetterHelp.com. Use the promo code MPW if you do sign up, and that'll get you 10% off. The podcast is also brought to you by our man, LB's Greg, but he's actually bringing us the Nick Broker show this week. So Greg slings the meats. I called him earlier. He was knee deep in about 250 pounds of sausage. I'm not actually sure what that means, but I just kind of went with it. So here's LB's, excuse me, here is Nick Broker 
presented by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. All right, we now welcome in Nick, episode five of the Nick Broker Show. This one's sponsored by LB's Meats. You guys know the drill if you listen to this podcast already. LB's is the greatest place in the world. Nick can attest to that. How you doing, my man? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. I heard you're a pretty frequent customer at LB's. Uh, Greg was. I was telling Greg about the podcast, and he was like, you don't have to pitch me on this idea. He comes in all the time. What's, uh, what's your kind of go-to there? Oh man, I love their jalapeno poppers. Always like, always get those and some asparagus, some potatoes. Kind of try to mix it up on the steak. Love their fillets and strips. Those are kind of like the main things. And always try to get some sausage too. I love it there. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest. Greg is uh, Greg's like a meat scientist. Every time I call him, I'm like, "Well, what are you doing?" And the other day, he was like, "I'm working on a uh, flaming hot Cheeto sausage." I was like, "I don't even know how that oh. works." But if you had it. I have had it, and like when I first got it, I was like, kind of skeptical. I was like, "That sounds interesting. Let's get it out of it." And it was really good. Like, I was skeptical like, just hearing about it. I was like, "Greg, what kind of idea is this?" And then he was like, "Trust me, it sells. Apparently, it does." Yeah, it's awesome. Um, did you do the funyun? Because that was another one I called him about one day, and he was like, "I'm working in some funyuns in there in, as a funyun." Oh, I haven't had that one. Okay, well, uh, maybe that's the next one up on the plate. But go stop by CMLB's University Avenue. There in Oxford, even like the basic stuff is good. Greg, one time I was going on a golf trip with like 10 or 12 buddies and Greg was just like, let me throw you guys some filet burgers. I didn't really think anything about it. We got it on the grill. I was like, damn, these are good burgers. Like, it's not like yeah. you're just kind of hunk of meat you throw on the grill. They're too big to eat. I was like, these are incredible. Yeah, the burgers are awesome. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing bad going on at LB's these days. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of not much bad going on, you guys 4-0 coming off another win against Tulsa. I know there's a lot that's like happened in the first four weeks. And I know we talked, I guess, right before Georgia Tech, but is this a bigger challenge in competition to say the least this week? Is there a different sense in the air at practice as you guys now hit eight straight SEC games? We've talked about the unique schedule before, but like, does it kind of finally feel like it's here? Yeah. I mean, I think there's more of a sense of urgency now. And, um, you know, we, we sense what's ahead and what's here this weekend. So we can definitely tell, you know, it's conference play. I mean, everybody kind of, gets really excited for that you know especially when you have eight straight in a row so and you got cooler weather like you can already sense i mean just from me talking to pe like talking to people is like more people are coming in town this weekend like they were in the mix for game day i don't know what goes into that process but it was definitely one of the three games on the short list it's kind of the first huge football weekend of the year despite i know they already had what three other home games but like this feels like the first kind of big oxford weekend of the fall let's take a look back a little bit you guys come off a win over tulsa and i know this has kind of been a big talking point where you guys got up ahead of tulsa they kind of crept back in the second half kind of the same thing with troy but it was one of those things where i mean you guys may have felt differently but i don't think anyone watching ever thought the game was actually in doubt even though it got close and i'm just curious for you guys when you're in your fourth game in a row like that where you know you should win the game it's hot it's at home is it a little bit more difficult to stay kind of razor sharp when you guys haven't really been tested to that degree and you're on your like 16th quarter of football in a row where you're like expected to beat the team, other team handedly, if that makes sense? Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, we can't really let things like that, you know, kind of control the outcome of it. I mean, um, felt like we should have played better, obviously. So, uh, you know, but there's still a lot to learn from a game like that. Was Tulsa the most physical team you guys played? I know Georgia Tech had a pretty good defensive front, but it felt like Tulsa had a surprising amount of athletes. Some of them I know are on the offensive side of the ball, 
I don't know where the hell they got that 255 pound running back, but uh, he could play on my team. That kid's pretty damn good. Um, but they look like they really got after defensively. It's a weird offense to prepare for, but just from your vantage point on the offensive line, do you think they were among the most physical teams you guys have played? Probably so far this season. Yeah. And, um, you know, I thought we did a, a pretty good job up front, but again, still a lot of ways to get better. Yeah, for sure. Again, another successful re running the football for you guys. I mean, it's kind of becoming one of those things. It's funny to watch you guys on TV because you'll have the announcers beg, well, you know, Lane Kiffin likes to throw it all around the yard, but these guys, like, are they going to run it this year? It's like, do y'all read any sort of game notes on this led the SEC in rushing the last two years? Like, what, what are you talking about? Just kind of, I know it's another almost a broken record at this point, but what's it been blocking, been like blocking in front of, you know, Bentley, Evans, Judkins. I mean, it feels like every single week, we know how good Evans is, but Judkins continues to prove himself and, kind of what an incredible like specimen he is at 18 years old. What's it been like watching them on a game by game basis get better? Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think that's one of the, one of the, the craziest part is each week we're all getting better, you know, the running backs too, like you said. So, I mean, you know, Zach's obviously really special dude can really carry it too. And, you know, Q at, at such a young age is just phenomenal. You know, the sky's the limit for him. Are you ever like, are you ever like, holy cow, this kid's smart? Cause I talked to him for that NIL interview. I told this story on the podcast ad nauseum, but like I interviewed him just like interviewed you, wrote up the little story. He asked me if I could email it to him to make his own edits. And I was like, wow, this is a first. I'm not sure I've ever had an athlete say that. And then he's like, a big, do you know he's into skateboarding? Like he's just such an interesting kid, but like he'd say something. I'd be like, damn, that was smart, but I didn't even realize it in the moment. He's a really sharp kid. Yeah, he's brilliant. And, it's like kind of funny because he's like you know he's 18 and he still kind of acts like he's got braces on and he kind of makes like some jokes and stuff <laughs> like yeah, i feel like forget he's a kid sometimes because you see how he looks physically you see him run the ball and like you don't think like oh that's just some kid looks like a man running the football yeah. Dude, i may have been making this up but i interviewed him i guess in june did he actually have braces then did he have braces at one point i can't remember someone he still has them. he still has braces yeah that is wild. Kid on braces just tearing up the SEC in football. Yeah. Did you know he was into skateboarding? You know, I had to ask all you guys, like, one random fact. Some were kind of duds, some were good. And he was like, I actually had, like, a little YouTube mixtape thing going as a skateboarder, me and my buddy in, like, middle school. And I was like, how in the world did a kid from Pike Road, Alabama, <laughs> turn into a skater kid? Apparently, he's pretty good. I'm sure he is. He's a good athlete. I bet he's good at, like, everything. So <laughs> I'm sure he's good at that, too. Yeah, he's like the kid like my mom wishes I was. I asked him some dumb question about like um like similarities between football and skateboarding. That kid gave me like a two and a half minute answer, and I was like, that was a terrible question. And this kid somehow made found a way to make it not sound incredibly yeah. stupid, which is good. Just an all around uh, good kid. So as you guys prep for Kentucky this week, it's an entirely different defensive front than probably what you face so far. But I'm just curious in general. I know Georgia Tech had some athletes up front, but like, what would you describe? to someone the biggest difference between like a non-SEC defensive line and what you face week in and week out in the Southeastern Conference? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, like you said, is just size and speed. I mean, you kind of see just numbers of you know, heights and weights of the Kentucky guys, and they're a lot bigger than what you've seen in the past. And you turn on the film and the you know, guys are, are, are like truly that big. You know, they have like the long arms and you can see some more upfield explosion and everything. So um, just gearing up for that, you know, but that's why you sign up for, to play in the SEC is to play in games like that. Absolutely. For you at guard, I don't know if you watched or got any text about the broadcast during, during the Georgia Tech game, but 
one of the guys on the broadcast, I can't remember if it was the dusty fellow up in the booth or Tom Luganville, was seemed like he was about ready to walk down on the field and just give you a bear bear hug or maybe like a wet kiss. Like four plays in a row, they showed you on replay just smashing dudes running the football. And this guy was just screaming out of his mind, like basically just idolizing you. Did you feel like you played as well as he made it sound? Because my God, you need to hire that manager PR agent. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought I played a good game against Georgia Tech. Um, so I was pretty happy with that and just got to keep stacking up games like that for sure. You know, the way you're, you're at least the kind of relatively trained eye here, the way you're built as an offensive lineman, like you're really athletic. And I'm just curious at guard. I know tackles pull some too, but it seems like they really have you kind of getting out in front of these running backs on some of these running concepts where you can kind of gain a little bit of a head of steam in that space and really get after people. Is that something you've noticed and enjoyed so far? Because I just noticed, I mean, the same thing with the TV broadcast with that guy I was joking about, but there's been a couple of times where it's been regularly noticeable with live action where you're kind of a pulling or whatever it is you're doing ahead of the back and you got three, four yards to kind of get after someone and get out there. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I really enjoy doing is kind of using my athletic ability just because it's something I've always really trusted, you know, not just with how I move athletically, just my instincts in general and kind of being able to showcase that is something I really enjoy doing. I may have asked you this before, but what's the biggest difference between pass blocking as a tackle and a guard? Because like in my mind, like if you're a left tackle, Miles Garrett or whatever freak the team has on the other end the next week, it's like, great, I'm going up against him. Like I kind of know what my job is. He's going to make some kind of move. Whereas on the inside, I know you have some of that, but are you more susceptible to kind of the stunting and other stuff they try to do to confuse you on the defensive line on the interior? What's kind of the biggest difference in pass blocking on the inside versus outside? As far as like the actual like moves and stuff, you see a lot more speed okay. and athleticism, like bend on the outside compared to like the inside, you're going to see more power things like that. And the, the set in general, there's a lot more space at tackle, like a lot more room um, between you and the defender. And that kind of, you know, plays sometimes into the um, defender's advantage, especially when you're out there on an edge like that. That's why it's such a tough position to play. And the, the angles are kind of tightened up at guard, especially. It's almost like you're, you're almost like playing like your own little th phone booth, like the, but the margin for air is a lot because there's less space. Like the margin for air sometimes can be a lot less like if you're just one or two inches off a tackle you can really make up for that with in other ways because it's still going to take him longer to get to the quarterback because you're so far away that makes a lot of sense i never thought about it from like the phone booth analogy that's a really interesting way to look at it do you have to do anything pass blocking wise as a guard in terms of how you combat that when you mentioned speed versus brute power do you have like technique wise do you have to block any differently dealing with you know kind of just brunt force up the middle versus speed how does that kind of work yeah, you definitely have to like kind of change your set depending on like the guard set and the tackle sets a lot different. Like the angles are a lot different. Um, as far as like some of the hand placement stuff, that's that's pretty much that's pretty similar. Like some of your punch timing and like strike location is all pretty similar, though. The, uh, do you feel like you're on like I feel like sometimes pass blocking at tackle, you feel like you're kind of on an island, right? We mm -hmm. talked about the responsibility against the guy with speed. Do you have to communicate more with like your center, like to your right a little bit when you're pass blocking on the interior? Or is it pretty much the same? Yeah, I mean, that's probably one thing about guard is you kind of have to communicate with both sides. When I was playing tackle, it's just kind of communicating with the guard or if it was a full line communication, I mean, it's still allowed that I just tell the guard and he would just kind of relay it down. Um, playing guard, you kind of have to work both sides of it kind of let the tackle know sometimes let the let the guard or excuse me let the center know because things like that can change a lot like just one small call telling the tackle about something i'm doing can change a lot of the the play 
you probably dealt with this a little bit with Matt Corral. We haven't seen it much with Dart as well, but I was watching uh, like NFL Red Zone like two Sundays ago. I'm sure you've seen the clip of Kyler Murray running around like a cartoon character for 25 seconds. One of the things that cracked me up about that whole thing is the linemen are out there, and it gets to the point where like kind of the initial rush is over, and it's those guys just trying to move like in either in unison or opposite of the quarterback and try to get like basically ad lib blocking for him while that's going on. And after like 10 seconds of it, like the center for the Cardinals looked like he was about ready to just pass out when that kind of, when the play breaks down like that and something absurd like that happens, is that fun going to try to just pick someone off? Is it tiring? What is that like when, you know, everything goes to hell, he's scrambling around and you're just kind of backyard footballing it. Yeah. It's kind of a difficult thing sometimes That's because of the rule changes. You can't really pick anybody off either. So that's kind of like, like in right. high school, that was, like in high school, that wasn't really a rule. So like that was fun. Like if the quarterback was just run, running around, like you could just go head on or whatever. <laughs> in college, it's it's a lot different, and um, you can't really sense it either. That's kind of like the tricky part. Unless like you're the one that's like the reason for the breakdown. Like you can tell, but like if you're already locked up on your guy, you know it's tough. Especially if your guy's just running around. You know the defender can see that, so he'll just break a certain way. So that's kind of the tricky part of it. Yeah, I've never – I just never thought about it. And I was like, damn, that center looks like he's about to die over there. <laughs> yeah, running around awesome. for like 17 seconds. Like that's that's got to be pretty uh, pretty tough. Yeah. Um, so you guys now have Jackson. You know, he's the starter. He's taking control of the offense. And it feels like as a whole now, everything's just becoming a little more cemented. You guys are getting a little more chemistry, you know, across the board. You could sense it with Dart last week. He just felt a little bit more decisive in everything he was trying to do. You know, you saw really some flashes of Heath and uh, Mingo kind of you know, asserting some dominance on the outside. You guys had a lot of new pieces, particularly at the skill position. Really the one constant was the line, even though you guys still had new guys and were shuffling a couple people around. But can you sense that you guys are kind of coming together and being a little bit more cohesive offensively four games in? Yeah, definitely. You can see it's a lot smoother. Like you said, you can kind of – feel like everybody's on, more on the same page now. You know, like we kind of have an idea of, you know, this is how this guy's going to operate when he's in the game. This is how he's going to uh, do this, how he's going to do that. So um, that's been really good for us. One of the big talking points after the Tech game was, because it happened towards the end, Dart goes on that scramble on the left side, and instead of going out of bounds, just ruined some kid's day. I can't remember if it was a linebacker or defensive back for Georgia Tech. And, you know, everyone got up there kind of fired up. And, you know, at the time, you know, they're still going back and forth a little bit between he and Luke. And, they're talking about that can be something that kind of gets the sideline fired up and like win over um, a, a team. And I know you knew Jackson like coming in before and y'all spent a ton of time together, but just limited game rep Does something like that kind of lends you to believe, okay, like this guy is ready to go to war every week. What does that kind of do for you as a lineman when you see him just demolish a guy? I get, you don't want him to do it every play. Kiffin was probably a little worried about that, but just seeing him not scared to just kind of put someone in the dirt. Yeah. I mean, Kind of fires you up knowing that yeah. a guy's going to do that. I mean, any position, especially your quarterback, right? I mean, that's that's almost the one like, that's almost the one you know that's kind of taught to run out of bounds sometimes or slide <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, it fired me up for sure. You know, one of the things I've, I missed on the running back piece of it is you know, we talked about Judkins and Evans. One of the things that I've seen them or noticed that they do really well is they all fall forward incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And as a lineman, when you guys kind of get in the scrum and you're run blocking and it gets kind of held up, obviously you guys are trying to shove them forward. Are you doing less of it or is it easier to do when those guys seem to just fall forward no matter what they do? Because that's really been something that's been amazing to watch this year compared to last. Like Ely was an incredible athlete and incredible running back, but he didn't always kind of like, like have the skill to fall forward. 
like these guys obviously have different strengths and weaknesses, but that seems to be a real strength. Does that make it easier at all on, as a lineman? What is that kind of like to watch? Yeah, I mean, it's really fun to see. I mean, we try to finish our blocks as best we can, no matter really who's running the ball. But, you know, things like that, it might only seem as like two yards, but when they, you know, they're both probably getting 15, 20 carries a game. If they can finish two yards a carry each time, I mean, that really adds up over the course of a game, over the course of a season. One of the things they noticed during the Tech game, and I think a little bit last week as well, is like the game wasn't close at the end there, but Kiffin was still, for the lack of a better phrase, coaching his ass off, getting exasperated on the mm-hmm. sideline. I mean, hell, with two minutes left, you'd have thought you guys were down 35 points. I, I get that he always coaches hard to some degree, but I just wonder, you know, there's sometimes where you let the younger guys play and everything's a little more laid back on the sideline. I, this is just a theory of mine, but that made me think that he probably knows what he has in this group. Can you sense that at all when he's really kind of getting after folks when you're up 42 to nothing? Yeah, definitely. I think even as a team now, we can sense, you know, all the good players that are here. And, and that's just how Coach Giffen's wired. I mean, if there's uh, still time on the clock, I mean, we're going to play to and play to win no matter who out, who's out there. I mean, the standard's the standard. So um, that's something we always preach. I've never, I've never seen like the season show much of this. Maybe I just haven't watched it in a while, but like freeze who was before your time, but for all his flaws, the guy had a hell of a pregame speech. It was always something they were going to put on the promo. The dude was a motivational speaker. You just sense it. Even the guy before him, Houston nut, uh, that was about all he had going for him at the end, but the guy could talk. Okay. Does Kiffin do the pregame speech thing? I know different guys roll in different ways. You don't really do a huge rah-rah speech in the NFL, which I feel like is more of his mold. Does he, like, do you ever, like, what is that like pregame? What is it, him talking to you guys like? Is it like rah-rah or is it very business-like? I'm just wondering what that's what that sounds like before a game. Yeah, I think he does a good job, like, kind of does a good job, like, kind of doing both sides of it. You know, he, try, he gets the players fired up, but at the same time, he's not out there just, like, screaming and breaking things. You know what I mean? He doesn't really do any of that or give us some big word daddy speech. So uh, I think he does a great job with, like, kind of controlling that element of it. The um, 11 o'clock game this week has been a huge topic of conversation. I think what people are still learning to adjust to is like the television networks figured out about a half decade ago that, oh, this game leading out of game day, 11 o'clock, these rate really well. And so like it's like the the misconception now is like the mid-afternoon or the night game is like, quote unquote, the better game, which is not the case. But like fans haven't gotten used to that because they don't get to go drink bourbon for four hours and have to wake up earlier. Like I, I get the complaints from that side. Do you guys care at all if it's a game like this of this stature is an 11 a.m. game? Does it bother you? Do you like it? Like what's that kind of like? To me, I've never really mattered what time we've played at. Honestly, it doesn't really like like to me, I don't see any like effect of if we play it like one time or another, anything's going to like be drastically different with anything and is sec environments i know look that i'm not gonna get into the crowd thing because i find that discourse nauseating but there's a difference between a non-conference crowd and an sec crowd when you run out of the tunnel like that and you know it's a big sec game does that naturally just get you a little bit more locked in yeah definitely i mean you can definitely tell there's more adrenaline and the crowd's a little different for it so yeah i mean when you run out it's a little bit of a different experience this is kind of the first of the last ride for you, like in terms of like your first big game of the season in your last year. You have some younger guys on that offensive line, Jaden Williams being particularly one of them. Do you have to tell a guy like that anything in terms of just like not getting too hyped, not wearing yourself out in warm-ups, or is he kind of a guy, or really anyone that's younger kind of tended themselves? Just like if you as an older guy, what would you kind of tell the younger dudes about prepping for a game like this versus, you know, a non-conference opponent? Yeah, I mean, Jaden's such like a pro in the way he handles everything that sometimes I feel like I don't really need to like 
you know, have to do things like that. You know, I mean, he already understands that and he has a really good grasp of it. So from that standpoint, it's not like I need to like really give him some speech because he just already knows. It's just how he's wired. When, we talked about this before. I mean, Memphis was a big game in its own right that year. That wasn't your typical non-conference game. You're starting as a true freshman. I know you mentioned you had some nerves, but did you – maybe I'm making this up. Were you kind of worn out before you came out? Like, the, I know it was a hot day there, but, like, did you get too hyped up at all or did you manage to stay pretty calm and collected before? I managed to stay pretty cool, calm and collected. But I also had, like, a really good group of older guys that really helped me and the coaches kind of talked me through everything and how to do it. For sure. Really just kind of wrapping up here, um, as you guys enter SEC play, I know you're taking it one week at a time, but it is kind of unique. You'll have a bye week, but you won't have that kind of like September, you know, Samford, whoever else opponent. This is unique a little bit in how the schedule has turned out. Like just looking at it long term, do you think about it all from just like a stamina standpoint? Like how do you like do you view anything differently? The fact that you have eight SEC games coming down the pipe? Not really. I mean, we just kind of try to take it one week at a time. And once we get later on the season, we'll focus on whatever happens. But, you know, right now we're focused on Kentucky and, uh, you know, doing whatever it takes to win this game Saturday. Just generally speaking, without doing the classic Kadir Shepard, I don't know if I told you this story, but one day we got him in a, we got him in media availability and he just started giving away game plan stuff. And then was like, oops, I don't think I was supposed to say that. <laughs> of course, the media had a heart attack over there in the back which is generally speaking what have you kind of seen from this kentucky defensive front what kind of challenge are you guys up against yeah i mean they're you know they're a true test for us you know they're a real sec team you know we haven't played any sec games so from that standpoint you know we're going to see bigger faster stronger this week and a lot more depth and experience you know they're a really experienced group and they've got a lot of really good players so it'll be fun to play from you guys get this one at home from a home crowd standpoint I've never thought about this from like on the field. Like I imagine when 110,000 people are yelling at you at LSU or Tennessee like that, not that it's going to like crumble you or anything, but you can definitely tell a difference. Like what is the difference kind of like playing on the road versus at home when the crowd is against you? Like, I, I know that's a bad way to ask it, but I'm just curious, like from the home standpoint, you know, I feel like there's points in the game where you guys really have a chance to take control with the crowd behind you. It almost seems to take control of the game at points. Can you sense that on the field at all? Yeah, definitely. I think the crowd affects it a lot and, and everybody's kind of different. I love playing on the road because I like kind of being that villain. Yeah. It's just kind of how I'm wired. Like I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, everybody hates me. I love it. This is awesome. Um, but the kind of on the flip side of that, you know, being at home, it's it's awesome. You know, you get the crowd behind you. It's loud for you and the team. And you know, whenever we do good as a team, you know, that's the crowd's there to fire us up. So were you disappointed at Georgia Tech where you're like, where are all these people? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was loud on this one, though. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that was uh I don't know, they were showing the stands. I was like, damn, that's a lot of powder blue in there. Oh, speaking of that, love people love talking about the helmets. How do you guys like them? I know you don't actually care when you get in the game what you're wearing. Do you like the real tree design? I think it's kind of cool that they've changed up the helmets a little bit. Yeah, I think they're sweet. Colors. I'm a big fan of them. Really? I think they look cool too. Um, I, think I remember I talked to Matt Luke one day and I was like, it was right in 18 and uh, I guess you came the next year, but they debuted the white helmets. And I was, we were just talking on the side and I was like, so do you like the uniform change? You're a traditional Miss guy. And he's like, the recruits like them. So therefore I like them. And I was like, all right, fair. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think they look pretty tight. How do y'all get shown that? Like, when do y'all know, did y'all know for a while? Cause uh, actually, one of the people that helped design them is actually who I replaced at my day job, oddly enough, Small World. Did y'all get told a while back? When did y'all kind of get the reveal? 
Um, we kind of had an idea, but like there was no official like thing to us that was like, hey, this is like what we're doing. Um, but like I think there was just kind of a group consensus that at some point we would wear them. Okay. So they gave them like they kind of showed them to you all like earlier in the year. Uh, it wasn't like they had like a big thing where they showed us. We there was like a picture of in the background of one of Coach Kiffin's like tweets or whatever, and we saw it and we like as soon as they posted like the graphics and stuff on Monday, we we had an idea. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I actually think I found out about it through Kiffin's Twitter as well. It's just kind of in the background of his office. I was like, damn, that one, uh, that one looks different. Um, just kind of wrapping up here. As you go through this last ride, I know I've asked you a couple of times if you'll like savor it more, but like you probably get out there on Saturday and you're like, all right, you know, we got eight more of these. They're all going to be competitive, hard games. Like, do you ever take a moment pregame to kind of reflect on things like that? Or are you just focused on the job at hand? When it's game day, I just kind of focus on game day. But like sometimes, you know, after the game, I'll kind of like think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really about it from a football standpoint. What's the class schedule going like? Are we any closer to getting me a house? What's going on there? Still, still working on graduating. <laughs> working <laughs> to things like that. Yeah, I imagine uh, that is uh, that is pretty important there. Well, Dick, I really appreciate the time as yeah. always, man. This is always a uh, ton of fun, and I'm sure we'll do this again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. All right. Appreciate Nick's time. I've enjoyed getting to know him a little better through the podcast and talking to him every couple of weeks. Really appreciate him doing that. Um, gave us some insight on the team, state of the team, state of the offensive line. I learned a little bit. Hope you did too. That's going to do it for us. If you made it to the end of this podcast, I really appreciate it. You making it a part of your day. We got a great Friday show coming up in uh, ahead of what is going to be a huge football game for the Mighty Rebels this weekend. So I'm excited for it. Fall in Oxford, weather's cooler, a lot of people in town already. I am looking forward to this weekend. And, uh, of course, Weldon and I will have the Sunday reaction show per usual. So thanks for joining us as always. Y'all have a great middle part of your week, and we'll catch you on Friday.